Hi folks, and welcome to White Collar Week. It's the isolation that destroys us. The solution is in community. Today on the podcast, we have Bridgeport Mayor Joseph Gannon. After five terms as the mayor of the largest city in the state of Connecticut from 1991 to 2003, Joe was brought down in a corruption scandal for which he served six years in a federal prison. After his release from prison in 2015, Joe ran again for mayor of Bridgeport and he was reelected. He is currently serving his seventh term as mayor. What I find most fascinating about Joe is his resilience and resourcefulness, his willingness to take risks and subject himself to public scrutiny after all he'd been through. Certainly, his story is a lesson to other people convicted of felonies that life is not over once you go to prison. Full disclosure, in 2016 and 2017, I served as co-chairperson of the advisory board to the City of Bridgeport Mayor's Initiative on Reentry Affairs. So coming up, Mayor Joseph Gannam on White Collar Week. I hope you will join us. Hello, and welcome to White Collar Week, a podcast sponsored by Progressive Prison Ministries, the world's first ministry serving the white collar justice community. I'm Jeff Grant, co-founder and your host. I served almost 14 months in a federal prison for a white collar crime I committed when I was a lawyer. So I know that it's the isolation that kills us and the solution is in community. So let's get started. Hi folks and welcome to White Collar Week. Uh, We have a very special show today. We have uh, Mayor Joe Gannam, who's the mayor of Bridgeport, Connecticut. And uh, as you might know, uh, Joe served a bunch of years in a federal prison on a uh, corruption crime, which uh, we'll talk just a little bit about, because we're really much more interested in his white-collar perseverance story and how he was able able to overcome a lot of his issues. Um, And it's a fascinating story. Uh, Babis Rolls-Ivy and I had him on Criminal Justice Insider about a year ago, and he was so compelling that uh, we wanted to ask him back to be on White Collar Week. So, uh, Mayor Gannam, Joe, uh, welcome to White Collar Week. Jeff, thank you so much, um, one, for, re- for having me, reaching out, but I think on a much more broader perspective for what you do uh, every week to um, have a kind of a, a spot or a place for so many individuals that may not exist otherwise in their lives, trying to kind of figure out uh, what's called the aftermath, probably not a good term, of, uh, hey, so many people have gone through the, the, the difficulties of not only incarceration and, and separation from family and friends and you know, kind of however they got there, however I got there, or, or, or you uh, come back out and try to put pieces together. And it's, it's, it's such a nice thing. And I've been more of an observer, uh, feeling guilty about that, not doing enough um, in the world of kind of reentry, in the world of kind of understanding uh, post-incarceration. And uh, helping people, as I can see behind you, and if, if they can see the podcast, finding hope and purpose after incarceration. So thanks for all you do. I appreciate having, you having me on today. Yeah, thank you. I just want to make full disclosure that I was actually the co-chair of the first year advisory board to your mayor's initiative for reentry affairs, which is um, really a banner um, initiative in the city of Bridgeport and uh, just received uh, some large grants along with career resources in the workplace. So um, I think it's a good time for us to be talking not just about uh, white collar experience about but about criminal justice and reentry in general. 
So um, why don't you give us a few minutes um, on your background? Uh, did you grow up in Bridgeport? What, sure. and, and kind of what led you into a life of service to begin with? Yeah, interesting. Um, I did grow up mostly here. And I do want to go right back to the grant, uh, the, the funding that uh, was announced earlier this week. I think that's a kind of a nice little launching pad to talk about separation from families and, and what the program, and, and thanks to federal funding, is going to allow us collectively to do. I say us, I mean the, the entities, the nonprofit entities that have come together, uh, the city of Bridgeport and others, hopefully to make a positive impact and to help individuals kind of figure it out. Um, parenting, separation, and then um, reconnecting. But so it was a, um, the Bridgeport story. Um, yeah, I grew up most of my life here. And also in, in a place called uh, Easton, which is less than five miles away, but kind of worlds apart. Bridgeport's being the largest city in the state of Connecticut. For those who don't know, I don't know how wide the audience is, but um, we're still relatively small cities by national standards. But still a large city nonetheless with all the, uh, all the challenges of every major urban center. And then also had the experience of growing up in a s small town, about as small as you can get, um, probably five or 6,000 people, um, almost a farm town, uh, somewhat upscale suburb. And um, so I lived both those places. But moved back um, into Bridgeport at an early age after becoming a lawyer and um, was really involved um, and enjoyed uh, the profession as a lawyer. And I did a lot of criminal defense work. Um, I did a lot of other stuff. I come from a family of lawyers. I have a large family and had seven siblings, four uh, brothers and a sister who all, uh, along with my dad, also um, were attorneys. So, um, so there was a rewarding um, opportunity as far as the profession goes, I found. I'm certainly maybe understand challenges people could have in, in the criminal side of this thing if you're a defendant. Never thought I'd be sitting in the other chair behind sure. the table in the courtroom, but it happened. Um, and I made a commitment to try and enter public service, if you call it politics. Um, you can choose your term, but um, helped others originally and then ran for office um, with, with not a real clear direction on ever becoming um, a chief executive or mayor of, of, of Bridgeport particularly, I actually ran for state representative and thought, geez, you can do some stuff up there. You can, there's a lot of people up there. You make uh, be a part of making um, law and, and help people in a smaller section or district and it continue to go on with what was my kind of full-time job and anything else that I'd going on in my life. But the, the, there was a, a point where I decided uh, maybe I could do better and had something to offer to uh, Bridgeport, and there was lacking leadership at the time. So fast forward, I did that at a very young age, got elected, and um, I think the reason I was able to come back after everything, which we'll spend some time talking about, meaning all the legal challenges and personal challenges and everything else that kind of went on um, while in office, I guess, but also following resignation and, and, and all that and being incarcerated, um, was we really worked hard at the time to make a difference in people's lives in the city of Bridgeport. And I guess by objective standards, and only because I'm sitting here again, I think I can say it was probably by objective standards. People by and large felt that we had done a, a, a good job um, because I don't think they would have ever reelected me after, um, well, one, you don't get reelected if you don't do a good job to start with. Never mind yeah. getting um, uh, indicted, tried, convicted, incarcerated, 
and then coming back out for for in this case was was quote unquote municipal corruption. Yeah. Um, unless people thought there was something more there than than uh, just another individual. Yeah. So so I give a lot of credit to the people who are part of um, what was eleven years of of transformative work in the city of Bridgeport, uh, both visually, in other words, what people could see and feel on the waterfront. In, in, in bringing in uh, sports teams and building arenas and and um and, and public safety where we saw effects on violent crime and, and 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 impacts with partnership and so on but also some of the maybe less physical or tangible things that i think departments were able to do so i'll take some of the credit for bringing in people that were smarter and better than me um and um if there was blame i get the blame for what we did wrong and, and then at some point you know, if you're in there, you're, you're part of, I think, everyone who can say we did a good job. So I think people people associated me with that when I came back. And as difficult as it was, and I know we want to talk about this, because I think the reentry aspect of the forcing, the pushing, the fighting, the barriers that are there when you come out, no matter yeah. who you are, no matter what your situation in life is, whether you were on the top of the world before and think you can go back to the top of the world, whatever that might be for you in your life, um, or you feel like you're at the lowest spot and that you can't even step up on the curb without falling off. Um, I, I think there's there's ways in which is I know you you emphasize with people every day. It's all in how you approach it. It's all in how you approach yourself and 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 those barriers and how you don't let them beat you down and you set realistic goals for yourself and your family and, and then you try to attain them. So let, let's go back to 1990 or so. And you're a lawyer. You're in a family law firm, or you're in a family of lawyers. I don't know if you were actually in the family law firm because i know ganem is a a, a well-known lawyer lawyer name in in bridgeport but at that point you're married you have children it's 1990s uh right? yeah kind of sort of. i mean i had not been married yet and i didn't have children yet but i was i was i was um i had a relationship with uh but then would have been my future wife sure mm-hmm. and um i was practicing law with all the ganems that we know in this area are somehow related yeah, I've got seven siblings. My dad had seven siblings. Um, I've got cousins, and and a lot of them uh, of us, I guess, gravitated um, following my dad's generation mm-hmm. from um, from uh, literally food peddlers um, with a garden center to uh, what could be created through educational opportunities. Uh, many directed in the field of, of 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 becoming lawyers. So there's probably between my cousins, some carrying Ganem name, and others a lot. But yeah, so I was a part of, at that point, one of the offices, my dad's office, I'm the oldest of, of second oldest child, but the oldest of the boys who became, five of us became lawyers, and my sister Mary, youngest, who passed, um, a lawyer as well. Now, uh, I never, so I never practiced with all of them in the same office, because at yeah. some point in 91, um, and then in 93, I, I ran for office, and in 93, I was elected, and they were still kind of going through school but um so that was kind of the, the backdrop of, of of where i was <coughs> in in that i'd moved to bridgeport um been part of a working with my dad built a house and um moved back as a matter of choice mm-hmm. uh, again at that point i'd grown up up until college lived in in, in easton which is a as, a as i described it earlier um where did you, where, you go to law school I went to, well, it was the University of Bridgeport School of Law right mm-hmm. down the road here. And when I became mayor, um, similar to what the university is kind of faced with right now a little bit, there were some challenges mm-hmm. and transitions 
some mergers and acquisitions and, 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 and so on. And Quinnipiac a Law School ended up basically with the whatever uh, was the University of Bridgeport Law School, and it now is in, uh, I guess it's Hamden. So I have a diploma. It's literally they gave you at my UB Juris Doctor and my um, uh, University of Quinnipiac. You know, they give you one is because when you have to say where you went to school, so that was the uh, the outgrowth of that. Yeah, I, I think they I'm not a practicing lawyer. I don't. I don't worry about, I'm not a practicing attorney. Um, I voluntarily, uh, when when all this happened, um, sure. surrendered my license. I've tried to regain it, which is another reentry story, which yeah. we can talk about or not. Um, whether there will ever be acceptability uh, by the Connecticut bar to allow, um, they seem to be open to um, people with a let's call it a past, yeah. more recently allowing them to reenter. But that's a whole other challenge. So you must have known, um, just to back up, most people who um, are convicted of white-collar crimes, uh, they're, they're generally successful professionals or in financial services, and you're a successful lawyer in a successful business, and you decide that you want to go into public service, which in some ways has its own limitations. Uh, you certainly can't make as much money as a as a mayor, as you could as a successful lawyer. So, wh so what, what kind of considerations did you have to devote your life to public service and to realize that this was going to have to be, this is a, a full-time gig. You got it. This is something you got to do and you got to commit yourself to. Yeah, absolutely. It meant kind of stepping away from anything else that consumed a lot of time. And especially at the time when I took over and you're starting now, um, I don't know, age listeners but uh, at the time it was considered very young i was 29 mm -hmm. um and you know the the perspective of being uh running for mayor was 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 funding um and then actually being mayor so yeah it's all time consuming just like when you get in, i found myself when you get into these uh, the political campaign um you watch watch them now the most visible biden and trump um or anybody else you see running competitively they're not doing a heck of a lot of else from the time they sleep to the time they go to bed. Mm -hmm. And anybody around them is probably not doing anything else either mm -hmm. if they're in a competitive race. So that whole process, I found just, just had a sideline, anything I was doing professionally, just running. Never mind getting elected, whether they elected or not. Because I ran first in, um, in 91. And so for two or three months, you know, I was part of a law practice, but everybody else was kind of picking up the slack for me, which probably wasn't fair either. Yeah. Um, so it becomes all-consuming, you're right. And then you've got to want to do, if you're going to do public service, and, and, and I don't know a lot, I think probably one of the reasons you talk, we're talking is because there's not a lot of people who have been through um, a, a process where they end up with a conviction, maybe been incarcerated, and then uh, feel that this is like, oh, this is easy. I'm going to go get elected. You know, it's just not a, it's not a, it's not like the road, you know, if you're going to lay out any type of logical course, it's probably not one that's, you're going to, you're going to think has a real good chance of being, being success at. So, um, so when we're talking about reentry, unless you've kind of been there before and you think that there's a, an understanding of who you, who you are, who you were, if, if you've changed before, um, it's probably not where you want to go. But I did it originally thinking um, I was somewhat young and naive. So I thought I could do um, a better job, could actually make a difference. I thought I had a skill set although hard to define exactly what that skill set is in these jobs, um, that could, that could um, move the ball, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I thought that would be personally rewarding. And um, granted, it's not a monetary thing. There's, there's limitations. 
I didn't realize the amount of, of, of uh, how much of yourself you have to give beyond um, your own time and putting aside a career because your mayor um, might like most higher profile elected officials, not all, but like most, you are 24 uh, seven. If you're in the restaurant and I'll use a stupid example, which will probably get more attention than I want. If you're in there picking your nose, somebody's probably going to take your picture and say, look, I got a picture again. I'm picking his nose. Well, they may not care if somebody else is. And I generally don't pick my notes, just so you know, for your listeners. But you know what I mean? You're on all the time. Yeah, of course. And so, um, And that creates a profile in many people's minds of who you are. But you, and you have to be conscious of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to drop, I don't say drop your guard, but you don't want to disrespect the office, uh, certainly not intentionally, even in your, let's call it your off hours. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's, it, it is somewhat challenging as a human being mm-hmm. because there isn't that kind of downtime. Sometimes you, you crave that kind of, let's just go out. And, 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 and not have to deal with that. So while you're in your first set of terms, the first five terms, uh, what is it, every, uh, every two years you get? Well, it's interesting. Um, so when I was elected in um, 1991, um, and I might have get mixed up the years earlier when we talked, when I was elected in 1991, I don't think I'm mixing them up now, but you, know, you get old. I'm not that friend. <laughs> I'm, that well. so I'm looking for a cue card or something. So you were elected in 1991. It was a two-year term. Mm-hmm. So Mayor of Bridgeport served two-year terms. So every two years, you had to run for re-election. Mm-hmm. And, um, and um, I had actually run in 1989 uh, unsuccessfully in a, in, a de- in a party primary, a Democratic primary, very crowded field. And I came out towards the top of the field, not at the top, but towards the top. I think it was third in a six or seven-person uh, field. And so I established that I could get some votes. I had some credibility. And then I ran again. Um, but it's a two-year term, which, which is very, very difficult in these type of jobs because all you're doing uh, is making, not all you're doing, but a lot of what you're doing is making decisions and decisions that impact people's lives, right? So you got to figure, no matter what you say, and I'll use a couple of current examples if you want, you're going to get somebody who's probably going to be happy with you um, or at least not unhappy with you, but you're clearly going to get somebody. And, you know, you never know how large the group is. It's going to be unhappy with you. Yeah, of course, yeah. Put it this way. Here's, here's an, a kind of a, an example that may, probably nobody listening to is probably first on the list, but it's out there. Colum- there's statutes now. With everything's going on, the Columbus statute, like yeah. cities across the country. Sure. And you've got a group, that, and I happen to be uh, a part Italian-American, mm-hmm. that says, oh, no, we want the statue up. We honor Christopher Columbus, part of American heritage. Italian-Americans went through... Um, uh, uh, d- discrimination and so on and, and you know there was a point in time where we got together and they mm-hmm. called it and, and we, there were statues and, and Columbus was one of the most prominent and then you have uh, 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 history that comes to light maybe we say wait a minute this guy was um, you, you don't have this history right and if you believe that this is a country of opportunity and fairness and everyone's equal um, uh, then uh, this statue needs to be torn down because it represents a part of or an individual who don't we shouldn't cherish or honor sure and so so you make a decision. Do you, do you, do you pick a side, if you will? You try not to. You try, but so you always. My point is, they're difficult jobs for a two-year term. So yeah. I ran. Uh, I have, I think, four two-year terms. And, 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 then, it's, and it's difficult because you're also always in an election cycle. It's always point, right. running. Yeah. So you get you get elected. Let's say in November, you've got a, maybe a clear year of runway where you can do stuff. And then after that, you're, you're up against, oh, gee, I'm up for election in seven months and eight months and six That's months, four months, two months, one month. And you're like, do I really want to, do I want to get reelected? 
And how does this impact that? Because I because yeah. if you balance that out, take away your personal kind of gee, I want to get reelected. It's if I really do care about this job, um, I can probably I should probably look at trying to stay here. It's gonna give me two more years to finish the work, continue right. the work. Mm-hmm. So I mean it's not necessarily just self-serving where they criticize people because they just want to get reelected. They want to get reelected for a reason. Yeah. You know, every two years you would, I was doing that. So I did that in uh if it was 91 to 93, 93 to 95, 95 to 97. And I think from, uh, I can't remember exactly, but somewhere in there, um, there'd always been the talk of changing the term from a two-year term to a four-year term. And it's a charter change. It's a big deal. Yeah. And it has failed historically every time. Um, I had, I think, was in a position where we had made progress in the city of Bridgeport, had done a good job. And if you use the term in, in these offices, popularity, I think there was a strong feeling of popularity. I was getting reelected by 80% of the votes, 77% of the votes. 70. And I, I said to the voters, because they had a vote for this, mm-hmm. to change the term, I said, we, whoever's mayor needs a four-year term. And so they passed the charter change. The only time in the history they ever passed it, it was shot down. And so my last term, the one I didn't finish, uh, was a four-year term. Yeah. Um, but, but my successors uh, who uh, came into office had four-year terms, and at least, at least it allowed them that. And then when I came back in and was elected in 2015, um, it was to a four-year term. And then in 2019, again, to a four-year term, which I'm serving now. So, so without, without going into the weeds, um, so what, what happened in your last term? What, what happened? Because I, because I really want to explore it, not from uh, the standpoint of what happened in City Hall. But I, I really want yeah, to know. Well, I think the best way to do it so we can pivot into uh, reentry is it was, it was obviously involved with city government. Um, a lot of people got uh, either indicted or pled guilty. Um, I was charged with a multiple count federal indictment. Uh, we'll use the term uh, municipal corruption uh, with the charges that the audience is going to know this because they've all been, been through this. Um, everything from uh, mail fraud. Okay. I don't know anybody, not too many people that go through the federal system don't get a mail fraud charge, right? I'm one of them. But conspiracy, uh, a RICO, I mean, there were serious charges. Yeah. Um, and, and so uh, following a, a verdict, uh, a, a guilty verdict on a number of those, um, I was sentenced to uh, 108 months or nine, I guess effectively nine years. And uh, we all know how that works. There's not a, you don't get a 30% of your time in the federal system. And I'm not criticizing or admiring the state system. These are all different. Um, and so went through that, was a, you know, self-surrendered, um, went away, was in New Jersey, Fort Dix. You served in the camp at uh, Fort Dix? Fort Di- yeah, Fort Dix. You went to the, as, at the time, the camp was full, so I was in the low, which means low security for those who don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually almost two separate kind of facilities there. I think it's in the east and the west. Mm-hmm. Um, with all the bells and whistles that you'd want on a federal prison, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a couple weeks, and then I transitioned into the camp. And mm-hmm. I got to tell you, as much as um, I was able to cope with the, the low, when you transition from a low to a camp, you really feel like um, there's a stress level that kind of, uh, your stress level isn't gone, but it certainly is a reduced level yeah. that it seems to be a much more, and I know people spend decades in the system hoping they can work themselves down yeah. ultimately to a camp for, for good reasons. It gives you a little bit more freedom. And I, I, I served in a low. So you served I, in a low? Yeah. For um, What did you serve? I served at uh, Allenwood Low. Okay. When I, when I went, the uh, Allenwood Camp uh, you know, uh, Club Fed yeah. had, had closed a year before, 
And so I had to serve my, uh, my full 13 and a half months in there uh, in a low. And um, it, wasn't as, it wasn't as difficult as people might believe. No, the scuttle on the low at it, 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 Allenwood was that you had a lot of area you could walk. Yeah. go out right i mean you just go out, almost get lost out in the fields and it was it was yeah. kind of a preferable place to land there so that's good for you yeah um so, yeah where some of them are you know for instance uh, fort dix is is confined yeah it's very crowded mm -hmm. um more people in a room than you'd like it was it was it was enclosed you know you couldn't just kind of wander off yeah. um and uh i think it's one of the larger uh, by population probably in the, in the country. I don't know that. I used to know all this stuff, but yeah, but go ahead. So at the time that you were, um, that you were convicted or that you were going through all of this, uh, you're married, you have children. Wh what's going on in your family? They, they, they must have, this must be a shock to everybody. Yeah. Devastating. Of course, of course. Now children were younger, so it doesn't mean that they didn't absorb or feel or, you know, they, they, understand but they didn't they weren't at a level where you had a discussion about the uh you know an adult discussion about um everything they were they were uh i think seven and, and, and six and seven and and the baby my youngest now who's 18 is just uh was just being born so he 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 was born in the middle of this like uh so um so sure it was it was it was about as rattling as you as you is, is something in life can can be without a doubt now when i try and when i try and make it sound like oh it's something anybody can deal with which i which it, it has to be because any you know by grace of god it could be anything could happen to anybody at any moment sure i compare it to um i'd always use well you know what what about people that have a health problem and all of a sudden you go to a doctor's office and you get the doctor says hey i got some news for you and i don't even like to have those discussions but it happens every day of course Sometimes those change people's lives and generally not favor. No doctor comes in and says, hey, guess what? You know, you, you look like the, you know, the most fit person and you thought you were going to die at 99, but you really look, nobody tells you that. It's usually bad news. Yeah. So, you know, you, I, I, I try and put it is in, in the, if there's an intellectual or unemotional way to deal with it, it's like, hey, look, if you think there's a clear path in life, you know how it's going to begin and how it's going to end and when it's going to begin and everything's going to happen, then you're doing better than me. If you ever think it's going to go perfect and nothing's not going to happen, whether it's your fault or somebody else's, or you look back at what you did yesterday and you said, oh, damn, I really screwed up. Um, it's all part of it. So I, I, in my own mental kind of way of dealing with it, um, without, you know, shedding blame or guilt or absorbing it or whatever, it was one of those things where, yes, it was devastating. No question. But don't, I don't want you to feel sorry for me like I'm unique. You know, that, that's not the point. The yeah. point is this, things happen to everyone. And some are much, much worse than, than something you've gone through or mm -hmm. something I've gone through. But I, I can imagine that one of the advantages that you had was that you had a big family and a, and a family of lawyers, too. So you had people to talk to. You know, for so many people, when they go through this, it's instant isolation. You're cut off from your friends. You're cut off from your business associates. Um, and, and you're going through it pretty much alone. I mean, your family must have been supportive they must have been there for you no well sure and i'll touch on that but the other part of it um is which maybe you're gonna kind of bring up is if you want that perspective that may be somewhat different than others but i'm sure everyone not everyone has family i have a huge, I have a huge family very supportive um as you say also 
you know, this was not a field. It's like, you know, doctor gives you a, a diagnosis. And you know, if you've got five doctors in the family, they can all explain it. It's not like it was foreign to us. We understood the language and the language. Right. And, and so I could have that conversation, no doubt. I guess there was some comfort in that. Didn't, didn't necessarily change the scenario. It just made us better able and able to cope with it. But um, the other side of that is as much as I had that and, and, and maybe uh, as everyone I'd hope has two friends and people they can talk to, um, I also had a whole thing that maybe a lot of people didn't have was being so high profile, yeah. um, being in office at the time while under indictment, um, while going through a trial. Um, granted, just a mayor, so to speak, you know, if you want to go to the higher levels, but mayor of the largest city had been a candidate for governor, had been in a position to run uh, statewide. So I, there was that whole level of, yes, you had and still have a lot of strong family support in my life, thank God. But the whole other level of what, of, of, uh, of uh, difficulties of trying to do day-to-day -day life while uh, mayor had changed dramatically too. And you were under a lot of pressure to resign, weren't you? You know, interesting. Um, I was under political pressure by politicians. Yeah. Uh, I didn't hear, nor did we receive, um, I would call it a grassroots effort or any groups. I had, when I went out and I didn't, did not go out, meaning to a diner or to events, um, I got a lot of, um, and I credit people with this because, you know, some people do it, some people don't. I got a lot of the opposite, especially from the religious community. Um, I got people that didn't judge, um, that were supportive, whether it was spiritually as, as a human being, whether it's because I was their mayor, that they felt some ownership. Um, so, so there was a lot of that that maybe others that I received I'd, I'd like to think because they knew me for whatever that 10 or 11 years was or mm -hmm. through my whole life. But there was a lot of that. There was very little visible, and this doesn't mean it wasn't there, of, 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 of pressure or people, you know, saying nasty things to my face or any of that. Um, now, certainly everybody goes through a little bit of that somewhere, either close up or from a distance. And I'm mm -hmm. sure family members or people that are further, one, maybe one step away might get it or hear it or overhear it. Mm -hmm. But um, so I thank the people very much for for that um, mm -hmm. going through all that. But the 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 party must have seen this as a as a problem. You took you took some heat internally, uh, politically. Yes. Oh, tremendous! Yeah, of course, tremendous heat. Yeah, sure. Very very difficult. I mean, uh, as as you would imagine. Um, so. It was one of the challenges to kind of deal with as you go through it. Yeah. Um, there were your legal challenges. There were the political challenges. There were the personal challenges. Mm -hmm. um, you know, hey, how do you, you know, all coming at you at the same time, right? Because the world's changed. I'm sure for anybody who's listening, the world is all of a sudden, it's either, all, either slowly you knew it was coming or it's changed dramatically. Yeah. Um, you don't know what it's going to look like in the future. Absolutely. So um, what happens um, you, you go to trial and you're found guilty and then, and then what happens personally You're now preparing to go to prison because it, and, and a part of this is trying to explain the process to people who are, who are just entering, entering. Is it, do we have an audience that's still just entering? Oh yeah. 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 
So, I mean, look, you, you can, you can, anybody who's gone through it can, can, can share their personal experience. There's a lot of commonalities, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's no, you know, I, what I did was I, I became, as soon as I knew that was going to happen, I became completely absorbed in all the, all the information that was out there, whether it was put out by the, by the federal government, was put out by formerly incarcerated, the books, I don't know whether there's a new round of books in the last 10 years or so, but, you know, there were people that had written their books about what to do, what not to do, mm -hmm. um, how to ease it, how to try to challenge they had met and with their families and, you know, what you can expect. I mean, what you want to know is you want answers. You, you know, you're not going to be able to control anything yeah. for a while, mm -hmm. but you certainly want to know what to expect. And then you want to share that with um, you know, the um, people that you care about that are going to be impacted in your life, that are already impacted in your life. Mm -hmm. As best as best you can, um, and there was always a feeling when um, when you were inside to a certain extent. Once you get settled in, that if the people you care about were okay, and we used to always say, if they're okay, then I'm okay. Yeah, because you know a lot of what their lives would be impacted by was you know you and 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 however you absorb that with personal guilt with um, with uh, whatever your feelings were. You know, there's always that feeling of cheese. Is my is my family kind of okay? Yeah, I think. But yeah, but going through the process, certainly, yeah, I was getting prepared, trying to learn everything I could, and then share it. And then, you know, there's financial considerations. There's, sure. there's, there's personal considerations. There's children. You know, how is this affecting my children? Mm -hmm. Are they showing any signs of of you know what do you see? What do you and, and and then how do we deal with it? How do you talk to them about it? So, um, how, how much time were you given to report? Um, um, so I, as I remember, I think it was, uh, uh, I think what would happen time-wise was it was the middle of September mm -hmm. because um, I wanted to get the kids with relocated. Mm -hmm. um, schools had to be changed. Mm -hmm. It was a new, new house and kids were going. So I wanted to be a part of them and the court was kind enough to allow me, I think, till the middle of uh, September to self-surrender. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, uh, and, um, just for people who don't know, self-surrender means you were driven, someone went with you and drove all the way to New Jersey to Fort Dixon where you actually surrendered. Right. Um, right. And, 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 right. Which is a preferable way for anyone if, you, uh, if you're going to enter the system. If you can self-surrender to the location where you're going to be in the federal system, mm -hmm. you and I would both agree. That's the preferable route rather than going through ha having the, the system, you know, have you go locally and then get transported, which is really said you don't want to be transported if you don't. Yeah, um, getting getting, getting uh, remain. What did you do? Did you self surrender? Oh yeah, I self surrendered. Yeah. But in, um, in Allenwood, in Allenwood, yeah. Um, and I, I had some friends drive me out. I, I didn't have family drive me out. I just I didn't want to put them through it. Who drove you? Yeah, out? Yeah, I probably should have done it the other way too. Yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> so now, so now you now you report to prison, um, and uh, you know you're going to be there for a while. How, how long did you serve for? Well, I got I had 108 months, which is mm -hmm. nine years, mm -hmm. and uh, so I served uh, I don't know the exact amount, but a little over six years. Mm -hmm. um, and what I did with my children, just to, to pivot into another topic, um, because it was obviously a longer sentence, which is yeah. I mean it was a, 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 an eternity. But uh, when I got there, there was a um, a guy um, trying to make light of some of this. So, you know, you usually get the top bunk, right? Unless, yeah. you, unless you got a lower bunk pass. Yeah. You're like, what is he talking about? But, I mean, these are the, these are like, 
there's only a few elements of your life at that point. If you got a pair of shower shoes and, 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 you know, you got a pair of sneakers, you're really on top of the world and you're usually going to get a bunk and you got a locker. Yeah. Right? I don't know every, I don't know what every place looks like, but it's not a lot there. It's pretty much uh, the same. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, upper bunks are usually less preferable, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, but the guy who was, uh, sleeping below mm -hmm. had said that, uh, and I'll use the terms. So I jumped in and, you know, I'm ready to like, you know, I didn't want to use extreme terms, but you know, you're just about as low as you can get. Right. Yeah. And you're there and you, you got your own personal kind of challenges, meaning you as a human being, but then you're mm -hmm. thinking everybody you just left mm -hmm. and, and, and you're like, Oof, how do you, how do you do all this? But he goes, Oh yeah. He says, good. Nice to meet you. You know, and I, I tried to go in as low, lower profile as I could, but regardless, you go in and, um, so I get up there and I'm thinking, you know, you know, the world's going to end. I got a hundred and whatever it is. I got nine years, right? Yeah. I was 15% off of nine, you know, do the math a hundred different ways. It doesn't change, right? It doesn't get any better. No. Um, and you're at, doing your math on how old you are, how old you're going to be, how old your kids are going to be. Um, and anyway, so he goes, uh, he goes, oh, okay. Nice to meet you. He says, uh, he said he had 188 months and he just worked his way down to a camp. When I got to the camp, wow! And he said, "He says I'm short. You know, short means I'm gonna. Yeah, yeah. I know you did. What'd you say you did? How many? How much time did you do? How many months? I did. Uh, I had 18 month sentence. I did 13 and a half. I was short from the day I walked in. Yeah. So, so he goes. He goes. I'm short. And I, I wasn't really sure what short meant, but he meant I don't have much time left. I said, oh, shoot, this guy's going home in a couple of weeks, in a couple months. He goes, Yeah, I got two years left. I'm like, That's short. I said, you, Wow, that's that's. And this guy, I said. If he, could, if he could make it to 100, and he looked like he was on top of the world, he was in good shape, his hair was groomed, you know, he was, he was busy doing this, he, you know, just, just a, uh, and I said, you know, there was a moment where I said, damn, if this guy can do, yeah. you know, if he, if he considers himself the back end of 188 months, I guess I can get through this too. Mm -hmm. So the point was, point was perspective on, on where you are yeah. and what you're doing, whether you're in a camp, whether you're in a low, whether you've got a health problem, whether you, you know, you lose your job, whatever it is. It's like, you know, if you can, if you can kind of just take that moment and kind of grasp it, and I can remember it to today. So, so uh, you you were in a barrack. Um, did you have cubicles in the barrack? Well, again, again there was a couple different uh, moments. When we first went in at uh, Fort Dix. Um, it was a it was on the military base, of course, um, but it also was former. Uh, dormitories for some federal program with i want to say ukrainian whoever and so it was not it was it was dormitory it would there were they had some had two beds in them with mm -hmm. a door so it was like being you know some of them were actually fairly accommodating but more regular there were eight mm -hmm. and i think there was as many as as 12 yeah but uh, they transitioned to a new camp i volunteered to help build a new camp mm -hmm. uh actually got like an award from the warden with a bunch of others, you know, saying, thank you. We actually worked and, and helped construct it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then we were in huge dormitory style. Yeah. Which I think there were two sides to it, mm -hmm. which is probably still exists that way now. Uh, probably 120 and 120 or whatever the size of it is now. And they, yeah. there was this, I don't know what it's like now, but there was an overcrowding problem where it was, uh, you were packed in pretty good. They, whatever yeah. the minimum amount of space you had between beds and all that. And uh, it was always great to have, uh, uh, you know, 10 or 20 people who can snore as loud as they could in the same area.
But I guess yeah. if that was the worst problem you had, you were uh, you were doing all right. In the middle of the night, it could be a big problem. You know, that all these little things kind of resonate, right? Yeah. Like, we, I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting, huh? And, and I'm careful on how to talk about it because I don't want to make it sound, um, you know, you don't want to sit there. Again, I know we have an audience, but there'll be a broader audience too, which I yeah. don't want to understand. So you don't, you know, I want to be fair about how make it, I'm trying to make it sound light mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, how people deal with it. But at the same time, real, it's, it's, it's devastating. And, and, and so I'm just trying to balance that as we have this, this uh, discussion. It's interesting. We talked yesterday or two days ago uh, at the Myra program, which is the mayor's uh, reentry. It's our program in Bridgeport reentry, which we partnered on. And Ernie Newton, who's a, a, also um, formerly incarcerated, talked sure. very eloquently about the challenges that his children had because the, the funding that was received was to help bond or build the bond for uh, reentry yeah. for returning citizens, fathers, I think. Now, mothers is even more difficult, but I'm sure this was to kind of help fathers kind of get back on their feet and the children. Mm -hmm. And um, he spoke very eloquently, and I don't know how he did it without, without kind of getting too um, uh, emotional, especially when you're talking about your children and, and those things. But he did, and he said, you know, his, his, his children had some, some challenges while he was away and other kids and that kind of thing. So I'm glad we're able to kind of do that. But I guess what I'm saying is uh, it's very, very difficult. You try and make, even when you're there, as you know, you try and make, you know, the best of a bad situation. And you look at these little things, um, maybe an extra piece of fruit when you get to eat that, you know, kind of makes your day. Um, it's sad that, that that's what it is, but it's supposed to be in some ways penal. It's supposed to be a hope re rehabilitating and put people in a position to have a better life when they come out. And that's, that's one of the things that hopefully we're going to talk about more. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you'd acknowledge that. <clears throat> it's difficult to talk about because it's people living on the brink, but it's still a community. And it's like walking into a, uh, a, a recovery room. This, if you walk into uh, an AA room, for example, half the time everybody's laughing because everybody is sharing this common experience. And it could be absurd, but you still have to survive. And if you're there for months or years, um, it's the full range of human experience. And, and I will tell you this, too, just, just to that point, and then we can pivot into some more reentry stuff. Mm -hmm. But you really, um, people are judged inside over an extended period of time by uh, who you are at that point. It's not who you were. In other words, it's not you were a counselor, you were a doctor, you were whatever. Yeah. Um, it's how you interact from the moment you get there with the people around you. And then you either, I don't want to say rise or fall on your stature, if you will, or the respect that you get. Some of it's by age. We all like to, you know, yeah. human nature. But it's also about, no, that's a good guy. And that reputation is all, uh, to a certain extent, all that there is. Somebody else says something that that's a good guy or that's a bad mm -hmm. guy. Stay away from him. Or that guy's it. And it, there, there's, not, there's not a lot of places to run or hide. You can't go to a new neighborhood, to a new city. You can't go to find a new group of friends. You know, that's it. And that's you. And that's who you're going to be for that whole period of time. And that's, you know, it's a very revealing um, human experience in, in that way. And that's with other people that are incarcerated that's with the people that are coming around with the uniforms on i mean there's that there's, there's not a lot you know it's not because you have a nicer jacket on or a different watch or a different hair it's just who you are you're all dressed the same um and uh it's how you interact with who you are as a human being with other human beings whether it's at lunch at dinner whether it's in line to go to whatever you're lining up for a shower 
uh, whether it's out in the wreck. And it, it's a very human revealing, and I think, to know about everyone there, and you learn a lot about yourself because of how people kind of treat you because of how you treated them. I learned a lot of things in prison that I probably should have learned in kindergarten. I learned about respect and care of others and how to, uh, how, um, to watch what I say and how to be appropriate. You know, I, I took all those things for granted. And um, I learned probably that. So, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Go ahead. You learned probably what? I, want you to I, I learned probably that it was much more important to listen in life than it is to talk. Yeah. And then what I figured out was, um, you know, the whole thing with the, you know, this guy's doing all this time and I got all this time and it's time, 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 right? Uh, you realize there's also people that, um, who, uh, everyone, I like to categorize as everyone because it made me feel more committed to doing something, had, 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 um, had a more difficult time than me and um, had, uh, had less on the inside and less on the outside. That doesn't mean, I don't mean money. I just yeah. mean less in life. And so I made a real clear commitment early on because I had a skill set, which, you know, being a lawyer mm -hmm. is, is a huge skill set there um, to uh, work on the law library, mm -hmm. to uh, help anybody and everybody who wanted help mm -hmm. um, on, and everybody had an issue or thought they had an issue, or thought they had an issue for an appeal, right? Sure. 20, you call them 2255s, or, you know, or were being treated wrongly or whatever, mm -hmm. or didn't get halfway house in time or didn't get into a program or, um, you know, there was a, and so you were, I was doing, um, assisting appropriately anybody I could in the law library, finding books or a new case came out. Look what they did with the sentencing guidelines. You should challenge that, you know, that kind of stuff. I tried to express myself, not as a lawyer, but just as someone who could help people. Sure. And that was so well received. And then I went on, I pivoted into, um, self-improvement with, um, I became a personal, I took a personal training course. Mm -hmm. So I'm nationally certified as a, as a, uh, as a weightlift, you know, and resistance and running and nutrition. So I spent mm -hmm. my time well with that to learn more about myself, but I also taught courses. Mm -hmm. Um, they offered opportunities. I taught courses on real estate, mm -hmm. on home ownership, first time buying a house. And I was able to have my, my brother send me in what a, what a mortgage document looked like and, and a mortgage deed and, and an application. And, you know, and there's nowhere on there where actually if you're a felony, and I would point that out to people, they don't care. What they care about it. Did you ever go bankrupt? Did you ever have a financial problem? Right. So as soon as you get out, if you're in a position and you want to, you know, they call it the American dream. If you've never owned a home, it's not that complicated. And you should try and do it. So I taught, I taught that course. And then I did a survey of what other people would want to, uh, to hear about and learn about. And I felt if I was qualified enough. So I worked with the administration in the camp to do that. And then I, then I took to, uh, to uh, things like um, I took on projects outside. I, I can help convert the place to uh, uh, recycling was coming in and it wasn't mandated. So I asked if I could install a, start a recycling program. So um, they said, yeah, go at it. So we put separate bins in for plastics and for paper because there's tons of plastics and paper. And, you know, can you believe it? It's a federal government. It's, it's, it's like when I was in local but we started recycling. We don't have recycling in here. So, I mean, it sounds kind of stupid. You're in there. What do you care about recycling? But these were things that I thought were the good things to do within that. It was a community, you know, I don't want to glorify it as a community, but as a group of human beings and individuals yeah. who had an impact both on, on ourselves and each other and outward. Um, and um, so those were a few things. I'm sure there's more, but I, I dove into 
a full-time commitment. As I got up every day, what classes am I teaching today? Is that we've done the recycling out there? Who's taking care of the outside? They had a, a hydroponics of, of where they're growing tomatoes out there mm -hmm. to help build that. I said, I'll volunteer for that. Let me help. Let me do that. And, um, and then it, it put me in a position to uh, encourage other people to do the same thing. And I think mm -hmm. there were some people that came out of there with some real good skills and trades. And, and a lot of and a lot of certificates, right? You get a lot of certificates. You got a lot of certificates. I've got stacks of them. <laughs> stacks. Of I've got stacks of them, and I used to give them out and get them. But you know what? It's it's um. See, look at you had to go if you didn't have a high school diploma. There was uh, I don't know if it was mandatory or not, but you had to go to class. Yeah, it was mandatory. I taught some. I taught reading. Mm -hmm. I remember teaching older gentlemen how to read, how to read and write. Um, you know, just say, look, you need to. You kind of need to figure. You got time right now. Figure it out. Let's do. Let's do it. I'm here. I got time. You're here. You got time. Yeah, we can go watch TV maybe, but let's, you know, if you want it, I'm here to, I'm here to help do it. And I, I still, I thank you notes, you know, older gentlemen uh, who could barely write saying thank you for helping me to kind of uh, literacy. So, so those things were rewarding. Um, they didn't, in the big world, you know, they don't, they don't kind of, they kind of, kind of get lost, but when you're in there and it's one-on-one -on -one with someone, um, it's, uh, it's what you hopefully what you look or what I look to do anyways. Well, I, I think it's incredibly important because it's really, it, it really tests yourself. Like what, what's important is that you don't get applause for it. This is, this is about your personal growth and what you want to give back to the, to the particular community you're living in right now. So, so coming out. So, so fast forward back into office, right? Yeah. Two things I think we should touch on if you don't mind. Yeah, please. You want to talk about one was the decision process, if there was one, if the rational decision process, again, there was a decision process, the question was it rational at the time, um, uh, to look towards going into the public eye um, for uh, asking for public trust again, after all that had happened, and then um, what we've done since then in partnership uh, with, through the Myra program, um, to help others with reentry. Yeah. I think that as much as some would, and, and they do this, I don't know, in a flattering way, but I guess the word, they use the word, you know, these superlative words about remarkable and improbable and all that because, because of the pundits, if you will, in the world of politics, they would say, no, you can't. It'll never be done. What are you stupid? I won't stand next to you, and many wouldn't. Um, but I, I will tell you, and I'll talk about that, and, and some of it's a flattering discussion because we won. Right, some would have laughed. It would just be laughter if we had lost. But, um, but I will tell you, I don't think we've done enough. Is since being in office, mm -hmm. um, with the voice that that uh, on reentry, uh, with helping to push things like we're pushing more now for reentry uh, in the city of Bridgeport and beyond. And I've just started to try and do more nationally. Uh, I'm part of the U.S. Conference of Mayors, which is a national organization, very well respected organization of the most prominent mayors in the country which I, I, I sit on, uh, on the advisory board, but I'm also now chair of the criminal justice subcommittee or vice chair of, of reentry. That's awesome. So we've raised it to that level where we've had conferences where other mayors, and I was surprised at the level of, of, of interest, who said, hey, yeah, maybe I wasn't, um, maybe I'm not in the same personal situation you are, Joe, but my dad was. Yeah. And you know what? This is what happened to my father. And, and, and so I know it from, from that firsthand experience or others certainly have, you know, brothers and sisters, siblings or friends or someone else. And I saw a, 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 a large amount of interest in the one uh, uh, committee group that we did 
where uh, it spurred us on to talk about how, and I've taken and participated now more recently in things like, how do we encourage people um, who have a felony conviction in the states where they can vote mm-hmm. to register to vote and to vote mm-hmm. and not just say, you know, that's part of the system. That's part of the you know, federal government and the whole, the whole federal government, mm-hmm. you know, if you still got anxiety over, over what happened and if it's still an us versus them kind of thing in your own mind that you're not going to vote anymore because it doesn't count to encourage them because there's millions and millions, unfortunately, unfortunately, of, of ex-felons who have a right to vote and many who don't. And if you do the math on it, and I'm not good enough to do it, when you break these things down and you look at it, and if, if that becomes a, one issue, it can impact an election, sure. local, state, or even a federal election mm-hmm. if, it, if it was ever organized the right way. And hopefully for the right reasons, that we want to give people the opportunity. We want to create situations where in this country, which we incarcerate more people than any place else in the whole world per population, that the, pun- the punitive aspect of it is certainly something that you want to send home if it helps prevent. But the rehabilitation part of it is really where we, where we should be. We all need to be a part of that. In other words, whether it's in the system or when you come out. If you can't do it in the system, because the system's brutal, as light as we make about you know, some of the things that, you know, whether you get upper bunk or lower bunk, yeah. or whether you, you know, all that kind of stuff, um, is brutal. It, 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 it tears apart families. Yeah. It destroys lives if they're not destroyed already. And let's say that, you know, these are, everybody goes and deserve, uh, they, they give a pound of flesh back to society. But what good is done on the afterwards if we don't put resources in, um, if you don't allow and support or at least create the opportunity for every individual to become maybe not the same place that they were, but a contributing member. If you, if you lose them, if you lose them, you're probably going to lose part of their family, maybe mm-hmm. all of their family. Um, you're going to certainly severely impact their family. And then, I don't know, you can go from there, how that impacts a neighborhood, a city, and so on. So I want to do more with that. I guess what I'm saying is I'm happy to a certain extent with the amount we've been able to do locally here. In some ways, we're looked at as a leader, maybe because you know, I'm in office and because mm-hmm. of my past. But I don't think we're as strong a leader right now as we could be on, um, on the whole dialogue and substance of reentry. And that's why I appreciate what you're doing because you're at it every day, every week, and you provide a platform. So I want to do more. You know, one, one of the things I want to make sure that we, uh, we hit before we, uh, before we end is that when people come home from prison, they're in trauma, they're, they're, uh, they, they don't, they're, they're afraid, they're afraid of taking risks, they're afraid of getting jobs, they're getting turned down. What I find the most fascinating part of your story um, is that you put you decided to take a risk. It's a big risk because you ran for public office again. So what goes into the decision making and what's, what are the takeaways that other guys are, and women might uh, get from your story when they're coming out of prison and they're, they know they have to re-engage life, but they're afraid to do it? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> interesting, because I think everybody's uh, story is, a, is uh, probably a little bit different than their, their surroundings. And, and so, so um, you know, I've always taken the perspective that, as I kind of shared earlier, that I had a lot, you talked about large family, um, uh, you know, wasn't, um, 
in a situation where I had to worry about having a place to live afterwards because of family support. Um, made it, uh, let's just say, not as devastating as it might be for for others. So what those personal hurdles are in everyone's life, I don't know. Um, as happy as, as that, that day is that you walk out, right? Um, I don't care if you were there for a day, for a year, for 10 years, for 20 years. But the day you actually walk out, certainly with some still restrictions that remain, even if you walk out with nothing, if they let you out naked, right? And without a dollar in your pocket, you'd still be the happiest day. Um, they don't give you much more than that when you walk out. Um, hopefully you get the regular clothes to wear again, which, which, which is a good feeling in and of itself to put on a pair of jeans. But, um, uh, but, um, there is that willingness to, with some common sense, um, continue to fight and persevere over those barriers because they're there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the best examples of the, of, of ways to work through it is to build, build, not be afraid, figure out what your goals are, but to build them on a solid foundation. And if you can, with people that know you, mm -hmm. that know a lot about you, that know, let's call it the bad, but also the good, and they're willing to work with you on the good. I had a guy who knew me fairly well, names will, will remain, who I was driving home. I've been home for about a week. Pulled up next to me, and I was in my dad's car because I didn't have a car. And Tom had rolled down the window. I didn't, I didn't recognize him. And he said, um, "Hey, how you doing? Hey, good, good. How are you? Let's let's connect." And I was like, "Yeah, this guy doesn't care." And I barely talked to this guy. Um, he didn't care, but he did. And he he uh, he reached out and he said, "Let's go to lunch." And I said, "Well, I can't really go anywhere. You know, there's no restriction." He said, "Well, I'll come up to your, you know, where you're living, and we can have a cup of coffee." When I was away, when I was away, at some point, gave me an opportunity. Um, in addition to what I was doing um, to try and figure out what I was doing professionally. And so I, I point that out to you unexpectedly. Yeah. Because there are people out there that if you just, if you make yourself available, there's going to be people out there that want to hurt you. They're never going to forgive or, or never going to give you a fair break, let's say, like in life in general. And they got a perfect reason for it now, right? They got a perfect reason. But there's also people that just are going to be good people that see the good in people That's and they're going to create opportunities. And then when, when that happens, and it will happen, I can almost guarantee if you put yourself in that position, whoever you are, wherever you are, if you put yourself with that mindset, did you say, damn it, I'm going to go out, I'm going to figure this thing out, and I'm going to look for people that will help me figure it out for all the right reasons, they're going to be there. And then just build on that foundation and level, whether it's over a week, over a month, over a year. And now you've got that, and whether it's in uh, a, a job that someone gave you, whether it's in a, a, a part, whatever it is. I think that foundation puts you further and further away for, or, or, or reduces the, whatever you thought that barrier was from the beginning. Mine was, was somewhat different than anybody, many people that you're going to talk to. Many are not going to run for public office. They're just not going to. Uh, if they did before, they might again. But even, even through that, um, Buddy Cianci was probably the most popular mayor in Rhode Island's history. He tried, and you know that became a very difficult thing. And he didn't. So it's a very difficult thing. But whatever it is, Whatever it is, wherever you want to go, whether it's a change in life, which you know you might want to look at if you were, uh, whatever you. The, the important thing is, I think, to where you want to do this is not to be afraid of that challenge. Mine was was so difficult because it gave people an opportunity to take their free shots at me publicly yeah. and privately to laugh at even the thought. This guy's gonna run for mayor again? Are you kidding me? What, yeah. why, why would we ever trust or, or, or allow that to happen again? Yeah. Joe, so 
your family's been through hell for 10 years. And one day you walk into the kitchen and you say to your wife, honey, I got a great idea. I'm going to run for mayor again. Did, did, did they think you were out of your mind? Well, yeah. And, and so it's a longer story than, than, than that, of course. But, um, and if you want to talk about it, we could. I, I don't know how that, my example, um, so, so the takeaway for people generally, I think, on, on what, what was with me was, did people that were close to me, in this case, it was mostly my children, uh, brothers, sisters, and, and, and parents, um, to a certain extent, how did they feel about what direction I wanted to go in? Yeah. Did they think it was a good direction for, for me? But, you know, they, you don't really say this, but for them as well. Yeah, it's drawing a, lot of, drawing a lot of attention. Absolutely. And so in my example, as you're right, it may not be for everyone else. Um, you're right. You don't do it, you know, in a vacuum. You don't go apply for a job and it's you and the guy. If it's a small company, there's four people. It's between yeah. you and them. And, you know, the, and your world changes maybe in a good way. No, mine was, you know, you, you make these big public announcements and you start talking to hundreds, thousands, in this case, probably tens of thousands of people, talking to reporters. Sometimes in this case, because it was so different, it was certainly broad-based news and, and comments. And yeah. some of the comments you can't control. Um, but uh, there was a discussion with my kids that uh, around Christmas time, which was, hey, look, what do you think? And, and, and so you get, <laughs> as you might with, with any group of three people, right, especially your kids, you probably get three different opinions. Um, and, and the ones that were the one or ones that were kind of supportive um, were... Uh, you know, we're like, uh, quickly, oh, that's a good idea. You know, you should do this. I said, well, slow down. There's going to be, you got to remember, there's going to be uh, a group of people that say, oh, Jesus, Joe, you know, that's Joe, Joe Gannam, whatever, the mayor. Uh, he, you know, they're going to accuse me of, of, of everything from stealing a hot stove to anything that bad happens. And you're, all you're going to hear is bad, 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 bad. And I, but I would tell you, I did tell them, which I believe, and I guess proved to be at least in part true, that there's are people that do recognize that, you know, um, uh, I was a good mayor, did a lot of good, and most importantly, could make a positive contribution in the future, regardless of what had happened. Uh, I don't say regardless, meaning ignoring it. I mean, and, and, and so I said, guys, we're going to hear everything. You yeah. know, you're going to, don't think this is all going to be just because we're around people that say good things about you and me and everybody that you're going to hear good things. They're like, no doubt, we get that. So, so we had the discussion about both, both sides of it. But at the end, I think what, what carried the day was, uh, I think there was a, at least my feelings that I could do, could do this job again, that although it was a difficult, long shot, that maybe I could get in a position to be here, but that I could make a positive contribution, and I thought better than others had in the past. So it, 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 it really didn't center around, which is probably not a good analysis for, for, for listeners, it didn't really center around what I thought was you know, my best opportunity, because I had yeah. other opportunities, um, as you pointed out. It wasn't like, oh, geez, I, I, this is the job. And people try to say that. Oh, he wants to be mayor because, you know, this is because he can't get his law license back or because he can't do this. I mean, just granted to say, I do come, you know, there was, there was a, a strong element of I thought I could do. Um, I thought it was a, a good move at the time. Certainly not a, as in basketball terms, a layup. But we yeah. did have those discussions. Um, but this again is unique and because it always creates 
an opportunity for um, highly public uh, criticism, for public mistakes, small or large. And it does put anyone who sits in, in the mayor's seat, whether you have, a, especially one with, with, with a past, in a position where you have 4,000 people that work with you or for you that could make a mistake that somehow you get associated with, whether you knew about it or not. Yeah. And so those type of things in this position, just talking about mayor and me for a minute, you know, all elements that probably would make someone think twice or three times about it. But to, to, to everyone else is out there. I, I hope that we've created and continue to create Mr. Bridgeport and I hope beyond through your, uh, through what you do and what other people do around the country, a, a reduction or, or, or minimizing, or I don't say completely eliminating because we haven't many of the barriers, um, in our society by, by interaction, whether it's providing programs, um, meeting people when they come home and giving them the things that, you know, simple things that, um, we take for granted every day in life, whether they're just to get by for a few days or how to fill out, a, how to create a resume or fill out a job application. I did that too. I also taught that while inside. We went through the whole process. We did, we sat down and you probably did it too. People sit down and we did mock interviews. Mm -hmm. You know, myself and a couple other people were former professionals. And we asked questions mm -hmm. and we, we dealt with the question of, well, tell me about, you know, are you going to tell them in the interview, do you put it on the application, you know, and, and you can't lie. And how do you deal with it? If you can get to the interview stage, you can explain what happened and ask for an opportunity. And that's the hardest barrier, I think, is getting that opportunity. Yeah. Because you and me and the other person are a good person. Once they're in that job for two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, we all know. You work with someone for two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, you pretty much got a pretty good feeling, you know, that, that they're heading in the right direction. Doesn't mean they can't make a mistake or do something wrong. But I think that's where people get a chance to prove themselves. So I'd encourage everyone, if you get the how to figure out how to get through that barrier is to get yourself in a position where you can prove yourself as a person to someone and then not, you know, back away from that or let that kind of go by, by the wayside. And then I think then the doors open. And once the doors are open, at least with, with where you're going, you know, you can rise uh, or, or fail on your own. And that's, that's all we can ask for in life. Well, I, I think this, that's a great takeaway here because many people who come home from prison, maybe even most, they're their own limiting step. They're their own barrier. And um, in my experience, I found that while there are a lot of difficulties out there and there's no getting around that, I have to be willing to take the step. Once I'm willing to put myself out there, then at least there's the possibility of good things happening. But if you're, if you're going to cower and not come out of your house and think that the whole world's against you, then you don't even have a chance. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and it's difficult. And by the way, you know, we're talking about it to a certain extent, not intentionally, but I'm going to bring it up because we have to, uh, in a vacuum where you're not, we're not even recognizing that probably there's a good percentage of substance abuse problems. Sure. Maybe need help with, you know, uh, other social issues or maybe have, who knows? Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe you and I don't have those, thank God. But, um, you know, there's that compounding of that, which probably make it even more difficult. Mm -hmm. I don't have an answer for people other than the one you just gave, which is you need to step up, take your time, figure it out, trust the people that are around you to agree or disagree with you, give you good advice and support, lean on them a little bit. In other words, but, but do it the right way. If they're going to help you, Make sure that you, you honor their help. And because I do think it really makes a difference when you do have, whether it's family members, someone's close, or someone who's an employer who gives you that opportunity to, um, to take it. 
I tell people when they come to the city and they want a certain job, I don't tell them directly, but I use it as a philosophy. I said, even if you don't get the one you want, maybe it's the top of the department, if there's one offered to you and you think it works and that you can make a contribution, take it. And then you're going to rise through, people are going to go and say, hey, look it, uh, Joe Gannon did a really good job at sweeping the streets. You know what? Yeah. I think he should be driving the truck. Mm-hmm. I think we need somebody to drive that truck. And then, oh, we need somebody to run the, you know, organize the fleet, make sure the trucks are out on time. I mean, that's going to happen. Yeah. Just going to happen by the way life goes on. Every day something changes, somebody comes, somebody goes. So you may want to be um, at that same position you were at. And again, somebody may have been a, uh, in a profession, but there's, there's other ways to approach it. And I would just ask them to keep going. I'd ask them to look at the, pro- look at what, you know, interact with others, see what successes they've had. Mm-hmm. Get over, whether it's, um, self-pity or guilt or somebody owes you something uh, on either end of it, whether you feel guilty and ashamed about what happened, um, absorb it. When I ran for governor, I went all over the state as difficult as it was. And I had told people my story. I got criticized when I went for my law license because they said I didn't, there wasn't enough. Uh, uh, I hadn't been clear about saying I'm sorry and absorbing guilt and redemption, whether they were right or wrong, regardless, that was, that was a, that was a, a but I went around the state, and I, again, I don't know whether it was a recipe for success to run for governor, but I thought it was a recipe for me to get out and talk about who I was, that I'd been successful, had been, you know, had been up and down, been up again, at least in, in the elected political world, mm-hmm. um, and thought that I had something to contribute, and I wasn't going to hide from it. I wasn't going to run away from it. And if, if you want to find a place to put it out there where you're going to op- open yourself to criticism, go run around Connecticut and tell them you're, you know, <laughs> That you've got a past and and you want to vote for you. It's a very difficult scenario. So I'd ask people not to let them, not let them uh, be deterred by that. Yeah. I'm not saying you need to lead with it. I don't think you lead with it in your in in your life um, because it may not give people an opportunity to understand all the other qualities that you have, mm-hmm. all the other good things. But I don't think you run away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can do that and set your goals, and you got to work hard at them too. Some of it's through education, some of it's through job training some is through creating relationships, then, um, you know, that's going to be what helps and, and, and going to help you, you and me, or you or them, but also anyone else. Mm-hmm. Because as more individuals become successful after having a past, uh, of being incarcerated with a mm-hmm. felony conviction, the more people that are successful, um, the more it makes it a, a norm and more it makes it so that the next person will have to be, be given that opportunity. Sure. I think that's the critical element that if you can kind of carry that through, we're just part of the kind of the, uh, the transition for, for, for everyone who's going in and coming out. Um, we all have kind of a role to play in trying to be successful so that we can create opportunity for success. Well, for the, ri- the, the rising tide lifts all boats. So uh, right. it's our job. So we have a uh, white collar support group, as you know, on, an online uh, support group that meets on Monday nights. This coming Monday night is our 227th weekly meeting. So we've been doing it for four and a half years now. And uh, um, on any given Monday night that you'd like, uh, we would be honored if you'd come on. Uh, yeah, I want to. Um, and as long as I don't have a council meeting on Monday nights, that's my uh, yeah. every other one. So I think we're okay this Monday night. If I'd like to try and get on there and we can confirm with you by then. Yeah, we'll make sure you have a, uh, that you get the invitation to get the login information because I think people would be, tickled pink to have you come on and to be able to give you a message of hope and uh 
and risk taking, appropriate risk taking, because people are they, they're just suffering. There's so much trauma, and they need to know that the that people are blazing a trail like you have. So thank you so well, much. For interesting. That. Uh, one, I'll, I'll leave this as a takeaway. Uh, as much as I said, um, you know, there's a lot of superlatives around, you know, the redemption and getting back in office and the mm-hmm. challenge and all that. I, and, and, and also admittedly said, I think we need to do more. I need to do more. Our city needs to do more with programs and encourage other mayors because, because of, for better, for worse, in, you know, me being here. There was one, I went for the, um, I went up to Danbury. It used to be women's, now it's men's again. I went, I spoke at uh, Danbury, uh, a federal correction. I'm not sure if it's a camp or not. But anyways, I went and spoke, mm-hmm. talked a bit about my experiences and answered questions and so on. And I encouraged people, you know, look at you got time now. Prepare for your life afterwards. Mm-hmm. If you've got a number, you know, if you've got a date, uh, in other words, you don't have a life sentence. You're gonna have a, you're gonna have a, a point in time afterwards where you are gonna walk out of here. Yeah. And 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 so the best thing you can do is, um, one of the best things you can do is prepare yourself for that as best you can, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I must have I must have absorbed the one guy um, because I was um, our fire department does a fire test. Mm-hmm. and we ban the box and so it doesn't matter if you have a felony conviction or not mm-hmm. and i'm um trying to maintain my physical fitness so i took their physical test which is grueling yeah of course so while i was over there this guy young guy uh probably in his 30s mid 30s comes up to me he's taking he's all buffed up you know yeah shape and everything and i'm kind of the old guy um trying to get through the, the mill on it anyways he comes up to me and he says you know you don't remember me, but I, um, I was in Danbury when you came and spoke oh. and, um, I don't overstate that I inspired him, but he said, you know, uh, he said a bunch of other stuff. And then he said, you know, isn't it amazing? He said, we're both standing here now. I, after that, I said to myself, I'm going to go try. There's no, there's no, there's nothing that can stop me. And he was taking a fire test to be a fireman in the city of Bridgeport. And I mean, you know, that's a pretty a pretty uh, elevating uh, uh, feeling and locked up yeah. and to have gone back and said, shoot, I remember when you came and talked to us and we locked up and now I'm standing here in the fire training uh, academy. It was kind of a, kind of a nice rewarding thing to say. Maybe, maybe there were a couple words there that encouraged him and hopefully he passed the test and he becomes a Bridgeport fireman. Yeah, so, so as an example, in addition to every, everything you're doing, maybe what people might see in, in me because I got elected and others, I think you look at someone like that and say, wow, that's pretty cool. Well, I, w- I want to thank you for being so uh, giving and, g- and generous with your time and, and your words. Um, I-, I know that uh, there's a lot of uh, different people who are going to be watching this, but um, everyone can attach to your message of, uh, of hope and of uh, overcoming obstacles. So I want to thank you for that, Joe. What I want to thank you is, that, is I haven't done enough from the, from, from the beginning uh, and, and your focus on, as I said, I see behind you again, so I'm going to say it for people, helping them find hope and purpose mm-hmm. after being incarcerated, but not only just that, not just putting it out there, putting it out there, as you said, for 227 weeks where somebody can just dial the phone and find out, you know what? I'm not alone in this thing. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that are going through similar, uh, struggles. So thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Well, thank you for saying that blessings to you and to your family. Thank and you. and I'll see you again. soon. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on White Collar Week, sponsored by Progressive Prison Ministries. You can learn more about us on our website, prisonist.org. That's prisonist, like feminist. 
And please remember to rate, review, and share this podcast so that families suffering in silence can find us if they need us. See you next time.